is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. With Valentine's Day around the corner, I figured this was a good time to sit down with author Michelle Hoff, who's written a romance novel themed around craft and bean-to-bar chocolate called Lust and Chocolate. During our conversation, we talk about her process for writing the book, her own journey into craft chocolate, and whether or not chocolate is really an aphrodisiac. Melanie Peters is a plucky food reporter writing for the Sexology website, and she's been tasked with tracking down and reviewing the world's most coveted chocolate. Each year, the site publishes its Lust List, a top 10 list of the objects or experiences women are lusting after the most. The bonbons created by Sommer Chocolate in the quaint German village of Schausberg have made the list, and Melanie, a chocoholic obsessed with the world of bean-to-bar chocolate, has set out to try the coveted treats. The only problem? There's a one-year waiting list to buy even a small box of the bonbons, and no one is willing to share. Sommer chocolates have landed on the lust list because their bonbons are reportedly better than sex, but that's not necessarily a hard sell to Melanie. She's experienced plenty of great chocolate, but has never yet been able to have a, ahem, transcendent sensory moment in the company of a man. Will the surprisingly handsome Maxim von Sommer finally be the one, and will she ever get to taste a Sommer chocolate? This whimsical story is told in Michelle Hoff's Lust and Chocolate, formerly published as The Chocoholic's Guide to Getting It On. Writing as Michelle Renee, Hoff populates this old world village with a quirky cast of characters hiding a few surprising secrets, and the book is as much an ode to chocolate and the tasting experience as it is to romance and sex. At times racy, at times poignant, but always fun, Lust and Chocolate is an entertaining read for anyone who resonates with these words from Melanie's thoughts early in the book. Sex and chocolate. There was no greater pairing. With Valentine's Day around the corner, I talked with Michelle about her process for writing the book and her own discovery and journey with bean-to-bar chocolate. Chocolate is like my life, (laughs) I've been writing since the 1990s, and I always tend to write about stuff that I love or incorporate things that I know about into my stories, no matter how wild they are, even the ones including vampires and werewolves. (laughs) So, I mean, lately I had just been checking out a lot of the bean-to-bar chocolates that I found in grocery stores, and I thought this this would make a great story just to feature a romance around something I really enjoy. Sure. So this came from your own love for chocolate, but of course the story itself is very big and romantic. It's set in this idyllic European village and you've got a castle and all this stuff. How did you take the idea of you love bean to bar chocolate and it would be a good theme and create this whole world around it? I always start with my characters. So I've always got like two people in mind. Sometimes I don't even know what they do. I just know I like have picture in my mind these two people I want to put them together see what happens I knew I wanted to do a story about a chocolate maker and 
just it just came to me that he was in a little village I mean where it would be a perfect romantic setting just plop him in a little village not put him in a big factory and the idea to do a reporter just kind of made its way in there because how could I find out more about this person well put the heroine in the position of being a reporter so it's very organic sometimes I just start writing and the stuff all really kind of works its way in there so let's talk about how you got into Bean to Bar Chocolate. You mentioned you've been trying a lot of these. What was your connection point to get into craft chocolate? I think I might have stumbled on something probably at a Whole Foods or one of those stores that where you can actually find some of the Bean to Bar. And, you know, grown up on the chocolate manufacturers, we will not mention, you know, the snack <laughs> size bags and all those. And you think that's chocolate. And then one day you get the fancy chocolate that you can't believe you spent that much money on. And it's like, wow, this, this really is chocolate. This, that other stuff, what is that other stuff? So that kind of set me on a path to really search out more. And, you know, it's stunning just the entire world of being the bar, the options and what's out there. Have you discovered any favorite makers that you return to over and over? I've been, you know, for probably three or four years, I've been just checking out different chocolate manufacturers and I do have favorites. I love French broad out of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. There's a place called map chocolate and Mm -hmm. she just does very rarely makes batches and they're just amazing. Just, she puts the most interesting ingredients together. Every so often on her emails, you'll get an email saying, okay, I'm going live to sell tomorrow. And you're like, okay, if you're not there at 11 (laughs) o'clock, you miss out on everything she's got. So it's, it's really great. I also like the Norwegian, I think it's Fajak. Fajak. Yes. Uh-huh. That's like that's like a candy bar to me. And I <laughs> when you spend so much on the bean to bar, you I like to eat like a piece at a time. Mm-hmm. It can last me a week, but that Norwegian maker that just goes right away. Yeah. And I would be remiss if I did not mention a Minnesota maker called Tewa Chocolate. I don't they, think I've uh, had anything from them. They're out of Fergus Falls and they're awesome. They've got a bar called Caramel Crack and it is very aptly named. I mean, you can't eat one piece of that. <laughs> that sounds great. Have you had any particular bars recently that have stood out to you? I mean, I'm just like always trying to put, get something new. I like Amade. I think they're Italian. Mm-hmm. They had a peach inclusion bar, which kind of inspired the bonbons in the story because he had like a bonbon with peach flavoring in it. And when I first started researching the story, I went to the Northwest Chocolate Show Mm -hmm. in Seattle. That was amazing to go to this big conference with just chocolate makers to sit in on some presentations to taste all the different chocolate to see a cacao pod and, you know, to taste the beans fresh mm-hmm. from the pod. And it was really interesting. So I learned a lot from that. And I think that only fueled my interest in chocolate all the more. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I was going to ask you with some of the chocolates that you describe in the book that Maxim is making, if they had direct inspiration. So it sounds like the peach one came from that. Are there any others you can share? It's fiction, so it's all fantasy. So a lot of it is like, this is what I would love if they, you know, made a bonbon. If you go on Pinterest and just search for pictures of chocolate bonbons, they make some amazing molds. You can't believe it's actually candy. So trying to incorporate some of that fantastical stuff into the story as well. 
So the story of Melanie and Maxim gets somewhat wrapped up at the end, but will we hear more about these two in the future? Probably not. Usually my characters, once I'm to the end, there was a character, there is a character in there, his butler, who I kind of fell in love with my secondary characters. So <laughs> I had to write a little short story about him. So if you're interested in the butler, I have a prequel, like how he came to be, what he actually is in the story, which is also available. That's fun. Yeah, there's the the bit of the epilogue at the end that kind of gives a, a side adventure for him, even though it's just a couple pages. Yeah, I can't yeah. I can't not have a little action adventure in my stories. <laughs> Absolutely. Are there bonbon makers that you have really enjoyed? I know, I mean, French Broad, you mentioned they make some. Yeah, you know, I don't really eat a lot of bonbons. I've mostly been focusing on the chocolate bars, but at Christmas time, I think it was called Mam- Mamo Tumbo. That was excellent. Otherwise, I haven't really gotten into that yet. It's next on my list. So why have Maxim do bonbons instead of bars, since you're into bars? I, I don't know. I mean, again, sometimes the story is just very organic how it goes, and that was what he was doing. And it just seems something perhaps a little bit more creative because, he, you know, some of those bonbons, they paint in the designs and stuff, mm-hmm. and they're really fabulous. So it just worked for him. So I'm interested, you know, you mentioned the book came from your own excitement about trying these chocolates. Has that worked in the other direction for some of your readers? Have you heard from any romance readers who maybe are new to being to bar chocolate because of this book? I, I have heard. I mean, I get emails quite, quite often and a couple of people have been like, where can I find these? You know, once in a while I'll see these in the stores and they are kind of hard to find. I've been directing people to the bar and cocoa mm-hmm. online. That's where I get mine, but yeah. it's always fun to get other people hooked on the good stuff. So let's talk a little bit about tasting chocolate. There's one part in the book where Melanie is kind of talking about her own process for tasting chocolate and walking through that sensory experience. Is that pretty much mirror your own? Can you share a little bit about your process for tasting chocolate? Again, I think my characters are definitely themselves. Myself, I'm probably not so get into the sensory aspects of it as much as I should, but it just depends. Like sometimes I'll take a bite and it's like, I'm just going to eat this because <laughs> it's so good, you know? And then sometimes you're like, oh, I really want to just savor, you know, just let it melt on your tongue. So I think yeah. it depends on the bar. Do you take notes when you're tasting chocolate or just kind I of- I do have a little notebook um, around here somewhere. I When I first started doing this, I would, um, it was like a chocolate taster's notebook. So I'd take notes and save the packages. I have so many packages of chocolate. Mm-hmm. I recently went through and cut all the covers off and I'm using them as bookmarks because they just take up so much space, but that's fun too. Yeah, I reuse a lot of my wrappers. There's such beautiful art on them. You can't oh, throw yeah. them away. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm looking at the French broad one right now, and I'm just like, that's just amazing. That's beautiful. And while you don't actually say it, I, I believe you described the French broad box in the book at one point. It cer- certainly I, sounds like that's what you're describing. I feel like I might have, yeah. yeah. I might have made a joke about it being a French broad, too, and because, hey, when I initially discovered them, I thought, why are they talking about a French lady? Right, <laughs> no, right. it was a river. Yeah. I think everyone uh, yeah. has made that joke probably at some point when they're yeah. getting to know them. So is the perfect bean-to-bar chocolate bar still out there? Are you waiting for that elusive, just 
amazing bar that you have yet to taste? You know, I would love to probably like a dream fantasy trip would be like to go visit a chocolate plantation someday just mm -hmm. to really see from the source. And that would be like the perfect chocolate experience for me. But I mean, so far, I've, like some of the ones I've mentioned, they're awesome, but there's so many out there. I feel like I probably only discovered 10% of what's out there to be, you know, to taste. So there's a lot out there to find. Yeah. And there's always new ones coming out, which is oh, exciting. Yeah. I, I feel like every week I'm seeing a maker I haven't heard of before. Exactly. It's almost like the craft beer industry, how they literally exploded over the past decade. I mean, I have a weird connection to craft beer you'll have to ask me about, but uh, the chocolate industry is kind of following that, I feel like. Well, I'm very into craft beer, as as you may know, so I would be happy to hear more about that. I know in one point in the book, I appreciate you make the nod to craft beer. Melanie says that chocolate pairs very well with beer. She thinks it pairs better than wine. Share your own uh, relationship to craft beer. Well, okay. First, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I don't like beer. I just can't. <laughs> I'm not much of an alcohol person. I can have a sip of wine every once in a while. That said, both of my kids are in the craft beer industry. My daughter is currently the president of the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild. Oh, wow. And she works at ABB Technology. They take the craft brew, take the alcohol out of it, give oh, it back sure. to the craft brewers. Mm -hmm. And my son owns 10K Brewing in Anoka, Minnesota, which is a craft beer tap room. So well, you really do have a connection. I then. don't know how that happened because <laughs> they came from me, but <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, great. I know about all of that, the industry and it's awesome, but yeah. Have you been able to get either of them into bean to bar chocolate? My daughter, believe it or not, the last gift she gave to me was a chocolate bar she picked up while traveling. So it's, it's sneaking in. Very good. There's a spot in the book where Melanie is talking about emotional terroir. You know, the terroir, of course, being the idea that we usually associate with wine, that the microclimate of a particular area will affect the flavor of the grapes that come out of that. That, of course, applies to coffee and cacao and all sorts of other products as well. The idea of emotional terroir is an interesting one. Can you share a little bit about what was behind that? I think it's kind of a romance staple in a way. The characters, you get to know about them, their histories, their backstories. And I feel like a lot of us have that emotional attachment to our childhood or place we grew up or maybe activities we did as a kid that we enjoy, sports or whatever. So when you grow up, that really affects you. So when you bring two people together, they have those two different emotional terroirs and you're combining them. And it's, that's what makes for a great romance. Some of that conflict, that emotional conflict, learning to live with one another and expanding her horizons. I also think it's interesting when you're thinking about chocolate coming from a place or wine coming from a place beyond the way that the actual physical growing conditions affect it. Is there something that I don't know if it's directly an issue of taste, but something about the culture and the people around that that influences the outcome of of a chocolate, of a wine, of a beer because of the the place in which it's made. I would definitely think so. I mean, just the chocolate manufacturer I mentioned to you, that Tawa Chocolate in Fergus Falls, they recently had a bar crumb caca, but it had crumb caca in it, which is a Scandinavian treat. Yeah. It's a like a big round 
fried cookie that's rolled up and they have cookie bits in this uh, candy bar. So that was like a Scandinavian and, and, and eating it, it just brought me back to childhood. So that was really interesting. And like the, the Italian and the Norwegian chocolate makers as well, you're kind of feeling a little bit of their culture when you're eating some of their chocolate. Yeah. And I mean, with Minnesota having had a lot of immigrants from Scandinavia, you know, in, in the 19th century, I mean, it feels like there's that connection going back as well. Oh, yeah, we're very Scandinavian up here. So that was kind of cool to discover that candy bar that they had. Yeah, for sure. Well, of course, the book being a romance novel, there's a lot of talk in here about chocolate as an aphrodisiac. There is discussion within culture about whether that's a real actual physical thing or whether that is just more of the romance around the idea of chocolate. What is your perspective on that? Did you do any reading before this to to kind of look into perspectives on that? I feel like as in a romance story, you know, it's a good trope. It works effectively because of course everybody believes that. But also just the idea that if somebody gave me a bean to bar chocolate bar, it means they understand that that means something to me that I'm really interested in that and doesn't matter what kind it is it's like wow you went to those lengths to discover that about me so just the sharing of chocolate anything flowers it was a certain kind of flower person loved you know so definitely that would be an aphrodisiac just that mental connection there sure what are some other books that you're working on Michelle Renee is a pseudonym I write principally as Michelle Hoff. I've written a lot of paranormal romance for Harlequin. Mm-hmm. Vampires and werewolves are not quite as popular lately, so I'm not <laughs> writing those right now. I'm currently writing for a Harlequin series simply called Harlequin Romance, and the idea of that series is kind of a big city, glamorous, small-town girl meets fabulous billionaire kind of stories, you know, kind mm-hmm. of romantic fan- fantasies. But I also like working on the chiclety stuff, which I would call the Lust and Chocolate book. Chiclet, it's got a little bit of everything, romance, adventure, some interesting locations. It's even got the Bossa Nova bingo night. I mean, how can you resist that? I did love that. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff, I don't know, it just happens. It just lands on the page. But yeah, so I have a book out right now with Harlequin, and it is called Cinderella's Second Chance in Paris. Okay. They like to get keywords in their titles. Thro- I was going to say we're throwing a few different big ideas in there. <laughs> yeah. And I have another one coming out in March. So that's what readers can look for under the Michelle Renee name besides the Lust and Chocolate. Very good. Well, as I was reading Lust and Chocolate, obviously a romance novel, you're dealing with sensuality broadly, something like chocolate. You're dealing with your senses. It feels like this is an easy thing to bring together. Even if we don't continue with Melanie and Maxim, do you see other stories down the road where you are using food or beverage in some way to drive a story like that? Oh, sure. I mean, I have I have a chef who makes macaroons in my head asking for his story. I mean, it's food, <laughs> it, like you say, it is a very sensual experience and it's easy to work into a story. So, and anything I've written, I'm sure there's a scene where they're eating something together. <laughs> If you're looking for more information on my books, go to my website at michellehoff.com. It's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-H-A-U-F. You can also order the ebook on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or the paperback on Amazon or ask your local indie bookseller to order it for you. 
So is chocolate really an aphrodisiac, scientifically speaking? Well, the answer is kind of complicated. Every attribute of chocolate that could potentially be seen this way also has effects that could be seen as detrimental to your sex life. Spencer Hyman recently broke this down in his Cocoa Runners newsletter, and the same information is also available on CocoaRunners.com. I'll paraphrase his information here. There are four main chemicals that are said to link chocolate with sexual desire and performance. Theobromine is a stimulant that both raises heart rate while lowering blood pressure. Phenethylamine, or PEA, releases endorphins and dopamine, which makes us feel happier, similar to the high we feel after exercising. Tryptophan stimulates the brain to make serotonin while also making us sleepy. And quercetin is an anti-inflammatory that is said to relax blood vessels and improve blood flow to the genitalia. As Spencer breaks down for us, PEA gets broken down by our bodies so quickly its effects are very brief. Theobromine and tryptophan might indeed brighten our spirits, but don't necessarily have a direct effect on our sexual desire and performance, and quercetin seems to only be effective in cases of very poor circulation, and there's little evidence that it works on human parts. In concert, it's possible chocolate could be an aphrodisiac, though it's likely any impact it has in this area is probably more related to our expectations and the emotional power we infuse it with than any direct physical chemical impact. Given how important our emotional and mental well-being are to our sex lives, maybe it's indirectly an aphrodisiac? Either way, great chocolate never hurts, especially when, like Michelle said, it's given with thoughtfulness to the object of your affection. Next week, we'll have a short bonus episode in which Sarah Ratza of Ratza Chocolate will talk about her Aphrodite bar and share her own thoughts on chocolate's role in our love lives. Thanks to Michelle Hoff for coming on the show and to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. <laughs>